Thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Harry's stands behind the quality of their blades, but they know that switching razors is not an easy decision. So they created a trial offer. Claim yours by going to harrys.com slash fool. It's Thursday, May 24th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio, Matt Argusinger. A happy Matt Matt Argusinger. As I am a, a happy person as well, because we're Boston Celtics fans. That's right. Good night for the but Great night for the kudos to the Washington Capitals, yeah. finally getting to the Stanley Cup, or you know, after 20 years. So um, a lot of a lot of happy Caps fans in the office. Yeah, nice Good to see them. the nice to see a hometown team actually have some success around here. Yes, which exactly. Doesn't happen very often. Uh, we've got retail. We've got big tech in China. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with Best Buy. Great headline. First quarter profits came in higher than expected. Their same store sales. Were huge on a relative basis. I mean, they were up more than seven percent, and the expectation there was that they were going to be less than three. No, great. Why is the stock down? Yeah, well, that that's that's the rub, right? So here's the problem. So Q1 comparable store sales up seven point one percent. Yeah, relative to Best Buy, their guidance, and relative to the retail market in general, it's a great number. And their guidance for Q2 pretty good as well, three to four percent comparable store sales growth. The problem is uh, they didn't update their their annual guidance, which calls for flat to two percent growth in comparable store sales. So if you extrapolate things out, what they're saying, what Best Buy is saying, is that hey, things are looking great in the first half of the year. Second half of the year, negative comps. So I, you know, and it could be now it could be just management didn't update their guidance. I mean, they're just being cautious, but. You know, if you're if you add the quarters together and they're supposed to be flat to two percent, you're doing all this great great growth numbers in the first two quarters. Something doesn't add up. It really doesn't because if you think about the back half of the year that's leading into the holidays, that that really should be a time when they're doing well. Yes, and so I think this this could be it could be either management being cautious, which is and you know under promising, you know ready to over deliver come Q3 Q4. But I actually think there could be some reasons management is being a little cautious. I was looking at a conference call, for example, for Cognex, which is a company we talk about sometimes here at the Fool. We've recommended it. Machine automation, machine learning, uh, right? right? Yeah, they 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 have little robots that work in all these factories that help companies produce and efficiently and and ship things. We had their CEO here a couple That's years right. ago for Full Fest, right? You, uh, you you interviewed him. Right, Rob Willett came yeah. by. Uh, great. I mean, it's a great company. So I, I was going through their last conference call. And they talked about how the consumer electronics business, which is their biggest vertical, uh, you know, we were talking, and they specifically called out OLED devices, by the way. So we're talking smartphones, tablets, TVs, you know. Uh, they talked about the fact that that market, which was growing at 40% for them, uh, for their business last year, they're going to be flat this year in that business. A big surprise. They were looking for 20% growth. What? So they went from growing at you know these huge rates to flat, and I, I kind of you pull that through, and I say, well, you know, if they're seeing that, and they're at the manufacturing level, probably at the retail level, where Best Buy is, they're saying, you know, hey, this might not be a great year for tablets and smartphones uh, and TVs. Last year was great. This year, so second half of the year, holiday season, tough comparisons. Probably wise to be cautious. Is it possible that the, this actually works out well for consumers who are looking for a deal? I think so. Well, especially you know, as we know, TVs seem to always get cheaper. So especially on the on the TV front. Um, uh, CEO Hubert Jolie at Best Buy has done, a, a, I think, a pretty remarkable job. Because when I think back to maybe five six years ago, this was a company that had a pretty bleak future when you combine the fact that 
consumer electronics, uh, the economics of it, it, it tends to get worse over time, and uh, they're a big box retailer. Yeah. And so the transformation, the physical transformation of the stores, I thought uh, was. Uh, a high degree of difficulty, and they appear to have pulled that off. In terms of this conference call, what was Joe Lee talking about? Besides the fact that there was no movement on the guidance whatsoever. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I thought one thing. You know, he led off his prepared marks. One of the first things he said, he, he highlighted the the new partnership with Amazon and the Fire TV, the Fire Tablet TV enabled uh, t- smart TVs that are that they they have a, an exclusive deal now with Amazon. I thought that was an interesting way to lead off a conference call, uh, and. It it makes me think that what 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 we used to deride Best Buy on is actually maybe their strength nowadays, which is, you know, you used to go there. We used to think, well, consumers are just going there. It's the showcase store. I go there, I try things out, I test things, I look at things, and guess what? I walk out of the store, get on my phone, and I buy it from Amazon. (laughs) Amazon showroom. Right. I think this is a great step for them in the sense that they're doing partnerships like this. They mentioned, you know, for example, the Facebook Oculus as well as something they have in store. You come, you try it out, and now you can probably get a good price on it. I feel like, you know, with some of these devices and electronics, people still want to see and test them out. And of course, you've got the Geek Squad there to help you out. You know, I mean, me, I'm getting older. Population's definitely getting older. Some of these devices are getting harder and harder to figure out. And I tell you what, especially with gaming and things like that, I think there's a reason probably to go to Best Buy. But one thing I thought about when I was reading more about this this relationship they have with Amazon, you know, Roku, <laughs> we've talked about, sells a lot of Roku devices at Best Buy and Amazon. And now that Amazon and Best Buy are kind of partnering up uh, on the on these Fire TV enabled smart TVs and really pushing that out. I feel like Mark Roku's sales at the margin might see a little bit of a dip. I mean, it's just this is where Best Buy and Amazon are kind of leading off of. Uh, a lot of consumers are probably going to be gravitating to these Fire TVs and less so to Roku-enabled TVs. You had mentioned something on Motley Fool Money a couple of weeks back um, regarding China that I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about, and it was basically the potential for a pretty big catalyst for Chinese stocks, um, particularly when it comes to sort of the big tech Chinese stocks. Right. I don't think this is getting enough press, because I think it is a big catalyst. And so, most of our listeners might not know that the average Chinese investor, domestic investor, cannot buy shares in Baidu or Tencent or Alibaba, which just seems strange, right? Well, the reason is because these are foreign listed companies. They're obviously Chinese companies. They do 90% of their operations in China, but they're foreign listed. Many of them are listed in the Cayman Islands, for example, and that's just for tax and reporting purposes. But Chinese, the Chinese government forbids most investors from buying shares directly in those companies. Well, that could be changing. Uh, and so, the, uh, the Chinese government came out recently and said, as early as this summer, they might be um, issuing, allowing these companies, these big tech companies, uh, foreign companies, to um, issue new ADRs, essentially. Uh, ADRs in China, which is, which is bizarre to think that uh, you're buying an ADR. I mean, we, we were used, in the right. US, we're, we buy ADRs in foreign companies. Well, in China, they're going to be buying ADRs in their domestic In their companies. own companies. <laughs> it's as if, if Amazon, I've, I've said this before, but it's as if Amazon uh, was listed in China and we couldn't, American investors couldn't invest in Amazon, even though we use, we use <laughs> obviously, in the States. Uh, but that, and that's the scenario. And so, if this happens, and I think it will, certainly by the end of the year, you're going to see a whole new class of securities in China. And as a Chinese investor, you don't have a lot of options. And Chinese investors tend to have a lot of savings. And what they've been doing is buying a lot of real estate, just finding places to put their currency, uh, savings accounts, um, or you know, domestic listed companies, which tend to be government controlled and not very exciting. Certainly not as exciting as a Baidu or Tencent. 
uh, Alibaba or JD.com or various Chinese companies that are foreign listed. And so, if this happens, I think you're going to see a lot of pent up demand flow through the market. And you know, companies that uh, you might be interested in, like Baidu uh, or Tencent, uh, JD. Aichi is one we've talked about recently. There's going to be a lot of demand from Chinese investors, I think, to pour money into these companies. And so, depending on how it arbitrages through the market, I think you could see a lot of a big boost. Is it also a capital raising opportunity for these companies as well? Not really, because the way I the way I understand it and the way our ADRs work in the U.S. is that it's just a it's a it's a proxy for owning a real share. It's not a liquidity event or a company issuing new shares. Quick thanks to Harry's. Harry stands behind the quality of their blades, but they know that switching razors is not an easy decision. So they created a trial offer, which you can claim by going to Harry's.com/rule. It's not typically when you learn to shave, like you, like I don't know, you you learn to shave and you like you have one razor and you're just like, okay, I guess this is my razor for life. <laughs> that's a bad idea. But yeah. yeah, that's exactly what you think about. Yeah, that's that's how I thought about it. It's <laughs> like, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to use this brand for the rest of my life. And uh, and then you try something new and it's, uh, it's great. Uh, Harry's trial set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. And our dozens of listeners can redeem their trial set at harrys.com. I've said it before, I love Harry's. Actually, when I was shaving this morning, I was, I was like, I'm getting low on supplies here. I need to, I need to place another order. <laughs> Again, go to harrys.com fool to redeem your offer. And let them know that uh, The Motley Fool sent you. It, it helps support the show, and we appreciate that. harrys.com fool. Uh, one uh, before we get into the mailbag, one uh, public service announcement, um, and and I I try to uh, do a better job of mentioning these types of things, and I realize I haven't mentioned this in a while. But for those of you listening who have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, if you have one of those devices, not only can you get all of the Motley Fool's podcasts on that device, you can also get Motley Fool Stockwatch, which is our daily. News brief. It's about 90 seconds long. It is free. It is seven days a week. Um, so check that out in your uh, if you're someone who uses that device for news, uh, you can get uh, a daily stock watch from the Motley Fool as part of your news briefing. It, again, if you have the Amazon Echo or the Google Home, our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. From Wade Cherry in Reston, Virginia, Wade writes: Over the years, I've come to value valuation less. Nonetheless, I have been burned in the past by buying a hyped company in a hyped industry that was overvalued, only to have it drop 75%. I've heard the Motley Fool gang talk about great companies, only to note that the valuation is extreme, and to avoid it, knowing that valuation is tricky, and that many companies deemed overvalued by mainstream media end up doing very well, do you have some basic guidelines to identify stocks to avoid due to extreme valuations, even if the company itself and the industry in it, uh, it it is in look fantastic. Thanks for everything you guys do. Uh, great question, Wade. And it's you know one of the I appreciate that he mentioned uh, the media because as someone who consumes a lot of financial media, one of the things I notice when it comes to uh, particularly younger companies is uh, the comparison. Is almost always a success story where it's just like here's this young upstart online, you know, whatever retailer or something, and it's like, yeah, they're burning cash and 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 you know, they lost more money this year than last year, but hey, this could be the next Amazon. Look what look at them, and it's like, 
Yeah, or it could be the next eToys or the next Pets.com. That's right. But, um, That's but right. Uh, in terms of Wade's question, what like wh- when you look at something and you check the box, like okay, by basic traditional valuation metrics, this seems overvalued. How do you then? What guideposts do you use to separate the opportunities from the? Oh no, this is overvalued for. All the right reasons. Yeah, this I'll echo and say, great question, Wade. And this might be the question. I mean, this is something I don't care if you if you've been investing for thirty years, it's a, it's a question you will still grapple with, uh, and I still grapple with it all the time. I, I think I can best answer by kind of telling a story, a really quick story about three um, D printing. Oh, <laughs> talked about over the years, but you know, you go back, Wade. You go back to early 2014. I'll remember this. I, I went to the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas with Matt Greer, our producer, and we, you know, we. It, it was it was pretty much what I'd call the peak of the 3D printing cycle. Uh, but the one thing that that struck me at the time is if you looked at some of the main. The main 3D companies at the time, 3D Systems, Stratasys, uh, there's a company called X1, there's Proto Labs, which we talk about sometimes. Uh, the combined market cap of these companies in early 2014 was $20 billion. Big number. And, and by all metrics, you look at these companies and you could say, wow, they are overvalued, burning cash, just as we talk about high PEs, nosebleed, not even profitable. Um, if you looked at the market opportunity of the 3D printing market, in a sense, Software, hardware. What what's the revenue number that these companies could ultimately capture? At the time, in early 2014, the estimate for that number was five billion. By 2017, so think about it. <laughs> you're looking at this industry, and you're looking at the big players, and the combined market cap of these players is 20 billion. Yet the market opportunity for them in a few years down the road is going to be five billion. So they're trading at multiples to their market opportunity. And the reason I I say that. Is because I think market opportunity is a way, and sometimes it's referred to as addressable market. If you're reading a 10K, it's a great way to gauge whether a company is, you know, either just overvalued right now by the, you know, and and maybe it's got a great future, or if it's just purely basically overvalued, you should avoid it, even sell it, maybe even short it. You can use that as a great proxy. So, for example. Amazon. You can look at Amazon every year. We look at Amazon. You look at it now, and you can say it's it's overvalued. They they they're barely making any profits. PEs, you know, nosebleed, all that stuff. But then you look at well, Amazon. They've got basically four percent of the total retail sales in the U.S. Imagine if they had ten percent or even fifteen percent. Imagine if they can capture fifty percent of the online sales in India, which they already are. So you can start making these, and you can say, okay, I have a great business here. Um, Great industry, great CEO, but guess what? The future is multiples of what they're doing today. And if you find those opportunities, then I can. And if you hold a bunch of stocks, and you say, "Gosh, I'm worried about this company. It's overvalued. I love the company. I love what they're doing." Look at their addressable market, and if their addressable market is multiples of their current revenue base or the current market value of the company, I think you're better off holding. I would just say, related to that, for any um, anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while. Uh, for all the times you've heard Jason Moser talk about the war on cash over the last 12 months, the number of times Jason has, has talked about the war on cash, part of the reason, I think, is because of the addressable market. Because oh, yeah. so much of the world operates in cash, and the opportunity for payment companies, you know, for Square, for PayPal, for Visa, MasterCard, etc., it's still for all the times that we take out our cards and swipe them. It is still 
in terms of the overall planet, it is still a cash world. Absolutely. And so, you can look at a PayPal or a Square and say, gosh, well, their stocks look incredibly overvalued. I love the businesses, and they're growing nicely. But yeah, but then you compare it to what these companies could, the market that these companies will be playing in years down the road. I mean, it is massive. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. It is Memorial Day weekend, so we will see you on Tuesday. Go Celtics!